Good everyone, good out of Shabbos, Parshat Zacher. We will continue, we left off, um, in the middle and the bottom, towards the bottom of page 3b. So the mother asked, Yochel Shani Marb Afshei Sharoyes, Chamudis Me'elu, you would think that when we learn out from a sister-in-law, your wife's sister, that not only is she prohibited, but even the co-wife is prohibited, if they, if it's a case of a yibum, so you would think that this prohibition that we learn from there also applies to the list of six in the next Mishnah. He lists that there are six prohibited relationships that are even more severe than the 15 mentioned in our Mishnah, which are the mother. your father's wife, that here, here your brother is not allowed to marry them. It's impossible for your brother to marry them. Your mother, your brother can't marry your mother because if he's your brother from your father, it means if it's your mother, it means it's your father's wife. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're not allowed to have relations with a fa- your father's wife, even if it's not your mother. Your father's wife, even if it's no relation to you. Your aunt, your father's sister. So just like it's prohibited to you, it's prohibited to your brother also. Your sister, half-sister from your father. So just like it's a half-sister to you, it's a half-sister to your brother also. It's your brother from your same father. It's your old brothers, your old siblings. And a sister-in-law, a sister-in-law, the wife of... of I'm sorry, the, the, your, your aunt, the wife of your father's brother. Mm-hmm. is your father's sister to an aunt, and then there's your father's brother, you know, through marriage, an aunt. So again, just like it's prohibited to you, it's prohibited to you, to your brother. And your, your sister-in-law, your brother's, uh, your brother's uh, wife, your brother from your father. So it's your brother from your father's, all, all of you, all prohibited. So even if he get, marries them prohibitively, it's not a marriage. There's no kedushin. It doesn't even count. So, so if he dies childless and he's married to a legitimate wife, then of course you're allowed to do yibum. You have to do yibum. to that wife. It doesn't count. You can't say, well, she's a co-wife of someone that's prohibited. It doesn't count because there's no marriage in the first place. Right. No chal. Here, your brother, the 15 that he lists, your brother, it's a legitimate marriage. Both wives are legitimate. For you, one of them, it's, it's, it's not legit. For you, you can't, because it's uh, arroyas. But for your brother, it was a legitimate marriage. In the case where even the, these six mm-hmm. that are more severe, that even for your brother, it's an illegitimate marriage. Mm-hmm. So then it's not a marriage. So then the co-wife is not a co-wife. She's the only wife. So it's not exempt. But the, now the Gemara is explaining why. Why don't you say, you learn out from the sister, that, that a co-wife of someone that's prohibited to you the co-wife becomes, becomes prohibited. So too, if your brother is married to someone that's prohibited, these six, let's say he does marry, he violates the Torah, he marries, he marries his aunt, <laughs> or his father's wife. <laughs> and, and he's a co-wife, so you, the Torah should say, you're exempt. So that's what, he, that's what we left off. How, do, how would you know, maybe... Yachal, I would think Shani Marbe should also add Avshesh Arayis Chamudis Melushit to the same Nasuris that the co-wife should be prohibited. Oh.
So actually, the mother's question is not if the brother marries illegally. What if she marries, uh, the mother marries, uh, or the, wife, the, the uh, father's wife gets married to someone else. Father dies, marries someone else, and she has a co-wife. And then her, their husband, her husband dies. Question is, are you allowed to marry a co-wife? It's a co-wife of someone that's prohibited to you. It's a co-wife. It was a co-wife of your of your mother, or a co-wife of your of, of your father's sister, of your father's wife, or was a co-wife of your aunt, or a co-wife of your sister-in-law, your brother's wife. You know, and then your brother died, and she married someone else, and that person had a co-wife, and then that other person, stranger, died. Are you allowed to marry the co-wife? Since maybe she was a co-wife of someone that's prohibited to you, you're prohibited from ever marrying the co-wife. Just like we learned from here, from the sister, that a tzara, a co-wife, is prohibited. So maybe in, under all circumstances, not only if it's in the case where the brother dies and he's married to the, to the, someone, to the sister, and then you're not allowed to marry um, the co-wife. So he says... So how do we know that uh, we don't uh, we don't uh, say that that the co-wife is prohibited in this case? Amar say wife sister is unique. She erva prohibited relations. If you have relations with her, if you do it intentionally, your life gets cut off. And if you do it unintentionally, you have to bring a, sac- a sacrifice, a sin offering. But it's possible for your sister-in-law to be married to others. She can marry your brother. Two brothers can marry two sisters. Mm-hmm. So, so you can be married to one sister, the other can be married to sister. And the Torah is telling us that if your brother dies, since now she's your sister-in-law, she's prohibited. you can't marry two sisters, you can't live with two sisters, they're both alive. So therefore, then the Torah says that the co-wife, even the co-wife, is also prohibited. So Afkoil, what do we learn out from this? Only an identical case. She Yerva, yes, it's a prohibited relation. That's one of the 15, that if you do it intentionally, at least you get, your life gets cut off, but surely if the court will put you to death. Well, she goes to chat. If you do it unintentionally, you have to bring us an offering. That's only the 15 cases. And then it's possible your brother could marry her legitimately. And then if your brother dies childless, since she is one of these 15 is prohibited to the brother-in-law. So you're not allowed to marry the co-wife. Excluding these six, which are even more severe, which even the brother cannot marry, since you can't marry the brother, it's the same methodist. In the case of he marries a stranger, if your mother ends up marrying a stranger, her co-wife, I'm allowed to marry her co-wife. And that stranger has two, two wives, your mother and someone else. And then he dies, I can marry the co-wife. Even though she was a co-wife to your mother. So what? <laughs> That's, there's no prohibition. Now the mother says... We know that you're not allowed to. But how do we know that if you do have relations, then you get punished? The Torah says you're not allowed to. But how do you know that you have that uh, that you also get this this the punishment? For the for the co-wife. 
So how do we know if you do yibum in the case of erva that you have that you have the same punishment? So he says, Amakara, the Pasuk says, anyone will do any of these abominations. So it comes to include all the abominations. So if you take an erva, you take a co-wife, you're liable for cutters. There was even those that are not mentioned specifically. So since we include even a yibum with an erva or her co-wives, it's also included in the penalty. Whoever does any of these abominations, your life will get cut off. Your life will get cut off. Now the Gemara continues. Time at the cost of Rachman You need a special a special verse to teach me that you're not allowed to perform the mitzvah of Yibum on a, on, a, on a sister-in-law or any of the other of the 15. Halav hachi, without this verse, havamina, I would think, achos isham yabemes, that you're allowed to perform the mitzvah of Yibum and marry a, a sister, two sisters, you're going to be married to two sisters? My time, eh? Why would he even think it's allowed? It's arayas, it's prohibited. He says, I'm reading, the Gemara answers, I'm reading, I would say, because I would say yes. Since it's a positive mitzvah, and there's a rule, a mitzvah overrides a prohibition. So there's a prohibition not to have relations, but there's a mitzvah to continue, carry on your brother's name who died childless. So the mitzvah overrides the, the prohibition. So therefore, I would think, yes, that this case, you are allowed to marry the sister-in-law, even though you're going to end up being married with two sisters simultaneously. The mitzvah should override the prohibition. You're not allowed to be intimate with two sisters simultaneously. So your mother has... There's several reasons given for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Torah wasn't given yet? Is that why you had two sisters? Yeah. Also, he made a promise. He promised her. So a commitment. That's an obligation. to take the Torah. Even if he took the Torah upon himself, it's a... It's like a beautification of a mitzvah. It's something that he took upon himself. It's not obligatory, but keeping your word is yes. part of the Shev Mitzvah that overrides any... <laughs> His word was pretty good. Exactly. <laughs> My time, just, was, your mother says, wait a minute. Hey, when do we say that a positive mitzvah overrides a, a prohibition? Only if it's just a prohibition. But a prohibition which is accompanied by your life is getting cut off with a, with a death sentence. Do we say even in that case that a positive mitzvah overrides? Vesu, another question. Where do we know that a prohibition, where, where do we derive this principle? How do we know this? That a prohibition, it's not something you take for granted. Why, why would we say that a prohibition, a positive commandment overrides a prohibition? We continue in 4 because it says in the Pasuk, it says, don't wear shatnes. And it says, don't wear shatnes. It says in Kiseitze, in Deuteronomy. And immediately it says, make tzitzis. And how do we know that we learn things from the juxtaposition when the Teda places two, two things, two psukim together, that we learn things from it? And then it says, it says in Tehillim, chapter 113, 
that things that are closed are done correctly and they're straight and they're here to teach us something. It's meaningful. So when the Torah places two mitzvahs together, the Torah is teaching us something. So what's it coming to teach? Oh, so that's one thing. So we learn from there. It's coming to teach that that the positive mitzvah, that the positive mitzvah of wearing tzitzes overrides the prohibition of shatness. Mm-hmm. Overrides the prohibition of shatness. And also, also he said, how do we know? How do we know that if a Yevama and the brother-in-law, the brother-in-law is Mukashkin, meaning he's afflicted with boils and it's physically repulsive. So how do we know that we don't close her mouth, we protest, she doesn't want to marry him. I can't live with this person. She has that right. Even if her husband also, let's say he runs in the family, her husband was also full of boils. So listen, your brother I can tolerate, but you I can't tolerate. You're disgusting to me, repulsive. So how do we know that you don't close your mouth and you force him to give a chalitz? You know, listen, he can say, he has a right of refusal. So I don't want to marry you. Fine, so if you don't want to marry a chalit. But he says, what if he says, I want to marry her? She says, I don't want. Okay, maybe I can't force her. But you can't force him to give a chalitza. But how do we know that you force him in this case to give a chalitza? So she should be free, so she can marry, be able to get married normally. No. She can get to decide if she wants to do a yibum or not, but he doesn't have to give a chalitza. Rashi doesn't have to give a chalitza. You listen, so you listen, you have, you have to be miyabu. And the truth is, you can even force someone to be miyabu. If you, even by force, it's a good yibam. You don't want to be miyabu, so you'll be stuck the rest of your life. I don't want to give you a halitza. Fine, you don't, you refuse. Have a mitzvah. Let's do yibam. You don't want, I want. You don't want, tough luck. But in this case, we force him to give a halitza. Where do we learn this from? Because <coughs> Shanemar, it says, right, juxtaposed right next to the mitzvah of yibam. Also, in Kiseitze, Lesachsem Sherebedishay. Lesachsem Sherebedishay, don't muzzle, don't muzzle the ox when it's plowing the field. It's, it's cruel. So, the Samachlein, immediately after that, the Taita tells us the next mitzvah is two brothers, and one of them dies childless. The brother is obligated to marry his wife to carry on his name. So, okay. And Rabbi Yisuf says, Rabbi Yisuf, I feel the man done with the lay daughter smuch and balm, but mission tater daughter, even someone who doesn't hold that we derive things next to each other. But when it comes to the book of Deuteronomy, there we do learn. Because the four books of the Torah was Moshe repeated from Hashem's mouth. Hashem's mouth, it's all mystical. You can't derive, we don't understand the. Connections, you can't make connections on your own. Here's the word of Hashem. The word of Hashem, Rabbi Huda holds, you can't learn from, it's not necessarily a logical connection. It's, it's more mystical. It's Hashem, it's divine. Mm-hmm. But the book of Deuteronomy, however, the book of Deuteronomy, Moshe spoke in his own words. So Moshe spoke in an orderly way. Moshe 
you know, when you give a speech, you have to prepare four times before. Rabbi Kiva would repeat it four times before he opened his mouth. He prepared it, prepared. You know, you have to, it has to be logical, it has to be sequential, it has to make sense, it has to be a connection from one word to the other. Not like most speakers today, the one word doesn't connect to the other word. You know, there's no flow. You know, like the latest speech. <laughs> we don't have to spell it out. Yeah, Tuesday night, the last week. One, one word of no connection to the other, one part of no connection to the other. But a sane, normal human being speaks, you speak in an orderly way. There's a connection, there's a flow. So there you can learn out. So even, even Rabbi Yehudo says that the first four books of the Torah you can't learn from Smokim, but in Mishnah Torah, in the book of Deuteronomy, Dadash. Where do we know this from? The Rabbi Yehudo, Ba'al Meleidarsh. And Behuda does not hold of Smukh. But in Mishnah Taira, Dadish. But in Mishnah Taira, he does, he does expound from, from the juxtaposition. The Gemara is now in a whole quest to learn where do we learn this whole concept that a mitzvah, a mitzvah overrides love. Right. Right. You're telling me that I need the Pasuk and Yibum because a mitzvah overrides overrides. Otherwise, I would say a mitzvah overrides a lav, and that's why I need to teach me that in this case it does not override. So besides the question, even if that's true, but in the case of Qadis, why would I think, I have no source anywhere that a positive mitzvah overrides a case of Qadis. That's question, that's, that question remains. But in general, now he's exploring, where do you know Bechlal that a, a, a positive mitzvah overrides overrides a a, um, a prohibition? So he brought the case of Shatnes, both of them from the book of Deuteronomy, that uh, it overrides the mitzvah of Tzitzis, overrides the mitzvah of Shatnes. You tell him where Tzitzis, even in the case of Shatnes. And then, in the case of the Yavama, the, um, even though the Torah says, even though the Torah says, no, and then how do we learn from something that's juxtaposed? The Torah says you should marry, um, you should marry a Yavama, but in the case of there, we say the mitzvah does not override. It's interesting. There, the mitzvah, we say the exact opposite. They're juxtaposed, and there we say the mitzvah does not override the prohibition of not muzzling. Mm-hmm. You would think, okay, she can't stand him. But let her be with him once. One time is not going to kill you. You do the mitzvah and then it's over. That's all you have to do for the mitzvah. You just have to have relations once. And, you know, maybe she'll have a child from it and you'll carry on your brother's name. But, but we learn, no, that you don't muzzle. Don't muzzle, don't muzzle the mouth. So then we learn the exact opposite. You should not muzzle. You don't override. The mitzvah of Yudam <coughs> does not override the prohibition. In the case of the tzitzes, we say the exact opposite. The mitzvah of tzitzis overrides the prohibition of Shabbos. Because there, what's it coming to teach me? It has to come to teach me something. If, if it doesn't override Shabbos, I don't, I, don't I don't have to learn it from being juxtaposed. I know there's no Shabbos. You're not allowed to wear Shabbos, period. I wouldn't even think that tzitzis is all, Shabbos is allowed. Mm-hmm. So why does the Torah place it together? So the only reason the Torah places it together is to teach me that it does override Shabbos. But in the other case, I would think that, yeah, I would think that naturally, even without the juxtaposition, I would think that in this case he should have relations once, even if he's uh, full of boils and he's repulsive and disgusting. 
<laughs> one, so one time thing, close your eyes, do a mitzvah, and that's it. <laughs> one time. So I need the Pasik to tell me the juxtaposition. No, don't muzzle her, don't force her. On the contrary, we force him to give a chalitz. But this is only in the book of Deuteronomy. These two so, uh, on the book of, De- of, uh, of Deuteronomy. Even Rabbi Huda holds. And the rest of the title we don't learn smuchim. But in the book of Deuteronomy, everyone agrees we learn smuchim. Where do we see that Behuda does not lo- learn smuchim from juxtaposition in the other four books of the title? That Abihuda ba'al me'le'dodesh. The mission title is ba'al me'le'dodesh. How do we know? The Tanya learned the B'raise, Menazah, as it says, never, it says in the book of Exodus and the Mishpatim, Mechashef, Eloisachai, Mitzvah 61, Mechashef, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Mitzvah 62, you're not allowed to let a sorceress live, a witch, a sorceress. You're not allowed to live. She has to lose her, you have to take her life. And then it says right next to it, someone who sleeps with an animal. Dies, you also have to put him to death. Why, why is the Tater juxtaposed the two? What's the penalty for sleeping with an animal? Stone to death. So too, a sorceress, the penalty is, you have to stone her to death. Based on that, something so flimsy, just because the tater puts the two next to each other, you're stoning the poor sorceress, which... There's other deaths. Who says skiller? You can't learn just from juxtaposition. You can't learn. In the book of Exodus, you can't learn from juxtaposition. Ella, he agrees with the halacha that a mechashefa is stoned to death. But where do we learn this from? We learn this from, from Oivi Yedoini. It says in Parshas Kedoshim, Oivi Yedoini, Bechal Mechashrim Hoya. It was included in, 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 in sorcery. Why, why does the Torah spell out the Oivi There are many types of sorcery. Oivi mm-hmm. is one of them. Speaks from a bone or puts a bone under under armpit and speaks speaks to, to the dead. So why does the Torah have to spell out? You say any form of sorcery is put to death. Why does the Torah spell it out? Lakish to, to juxtapose all of them. Is one of the 13 things that Rabbi Shmuel teaches how we expound the Torah. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that anything that was part of the general, the generalization, then the Torah takes it out, takes out a detail and spells it out. It's not just coming to teach it. It's regarding this deal, detail is coming to teach us regarding the whole, the whole generalization. So the Titus spells out, in the case of Oivi Yedenit, the penalty is skill is to teach any type of sorcery. The penalty is stoning. That's how we learn it, not from a juxtaposition. But how do we know that in Mishnah Titus and Dvarim we do learn from, from being from the juxtaposition? Not learn the Mishnah. We learned Nesi Adam. We learned Nesi Adam. Anusas Avim, Futas We'll learn later on in the tractate that a person is allowed to marry if his father raped a woman or his father seduced a woman. He's allowed to marry her, the woman. You're not allowed to marry your father's wife, even if it's not your mother. But it's not a wife. He raped her or he seduced her. He had, a, he had an affair with her, but it's not, it wasn't his wife. So the son is allowed, there's no prohibition, the son is allowed to marry this woman. No prohibition. 
And the same thing, Anus is Benayim, Fut is Benayim. If his son raped a woman, or his son seduced a woman, you're not allowed to marry your daughter-in-law. But in this case, you're allowed to. Because it's not a wife. It's not a wife. It totally prohibits a wife. It's not a wife. It wasn't a marriage. It was an affair or, or, or a rape. Rabbi Huda Eiser, Rabbi Huda argues, Rabbi Huda Eiser, in the case of Banusas Av and Futas Av, Rabbi Huda disagrees in the case of if you, the woman that your father raped, your father was intimate with, no matter what shape or form, any woman that your father was intimate with, you're not allowed to marry. Where does Rabbi Huda derive this from? What's the reason? It says, it says, Layikach Ish. It says in, in Kiseitze, in the book of Deuteronomy, that you're not allowed to marry your father's wife. And the Torah says, and don't reveal your father's shame. Meaning, so why, why does the Torah add? The Torah says, don't marry your father's wife, not your mother, your father's wife. You're not ever allowed to marry her. Fine. Why does he add, don't? Reveal your father's shame. So, Knaf, Shira, Aviv, Le'egale. Skirt. Weirdly enough, it's his father's skirt in my translation. Right. So, Knaf, Shira, Aviv, Le'egale. That anyone who saw your father, who was intimate with your father, don't, don't expose, don't reveal. You're not allowed to have relations with him. Mimai, how do we know the Banu Siksiv? How do we know that the Pasuk is speaking about a, a rape? Le'egale, Knaf, Aviv. Maybe it's talking about, how do you know it's talking about a rape? So he said, from the Pasik, the Khsiv, it says next to it. That someone who seduces your daughter. So you have to pay a penalty of 50, 50 silver, silver, silver coins. <clears throat> if someone if someone rapes your daughter. So yeah, that's a penalty. You have to pay. You violated the daughter. You have to pay 50, 50 silver coins. So therefore, right next to it, juxtaposed to it, the Torah tells us, don't take, you're not allowed to marry your father's wife, and don't reveal, don't expose your knaf of it, the, the, the skirt, the, the clothing of your father. So therefore, we learn from the, that juxtaposition. What is the Torah referring to? The Torah means that if your father raped a woman, since your father was intimate with that woman, even though it's not his wife, you're never, never allowed to be intimate with that woman. You're not allowed to marry. Or seduced. Yeah, or seduced. But Abana and the rabbis who disagree, the rabbis disagree with Rabbi Huda. The rabbis say that you are allowed to marry you, the, if your father raped a woman, as well, only the Torah only prohibits a married a married woman, your father's married wife. Then you're not allowed to ever uh, live with that woman and marry that woman after your father dies. But if your father raped someone or seduced someone, had an affair, you are allowed. What do they do here? We have this juxtaposition. The Torah juxtaposes this verse right next to uh, the case of a rape. The Torah says clearly you're not allowed to. So the rabbis argue, if it was right, juxtaposed right next to it, you would be right. But how should it be? Because it says, first it says, yes, it says, don't, if there's a rape, then you have to, you have to pay. And then, then the Torah first says, 
don't marry the wife of your father. And then it says, don't reveal uh, the skirt of your father. So, so it's not juxtaposed. There's an interruption. So it's not juxtaposed. I can't learn one from the other. Yeah. So what? So then what does the Pasuk mean? So the rabbis learn, the Torah is speaking about the Torah is speaking about another case. Your brother died, childless. You have an obligation. You have an obligation to marry to marry the brother, the father in this case. The father has an obligation to marry his brother's wife. Hmm. So the Tate is telling the son, don't marry this woman. Because she's reserved for your father. He didn't marry her yet. He didn't do a yibam yet. He didn't perform the yibam. So he never took her in. There's a mitzvah that he has an obligation. But he didn't do it yet. So she's, she's not a married woman. Her husband died. Her husband died childless. She is destined for the brother. She's designated for the brother. But she didn't marry him. So even though she's not allowed to marry anyone, there's a prohibition, she's not available. But the Torah is adding another prohibition. In addition to prohibition that nobody is allowed to marry her because she's not available, she's designated to the brother. There's a special prohibition on the son. That the son is not allowed to marry her. When the son marries her, he violates two prohibitions. Like any other Jew, he's not allowed to marry this woman, she's not available. And specifically because it's the father's designated to your father. It's a son, the father is designated to your father. So you're not allowed to you're not allowed to marry him. There's also a third prohibition. So wait, wait a second. You're not allowed to marry your aunt. Wait a second. Your uncle's wife. Mm-hmm. There's really three prohibitions. So okay. what does he get? He's a call. Add another prohibition. Yes. He's coming to add two prohibitions. Really, there's three prohibitions. But ever so, in other words, here we see clearly Rabbi Yehuda, even Rabbi Yehuda, who doesn't hold that you learn from juxtaposition anywhere else in the Torah, the first four books in the Torah, but he agrees that in the fifth book of the Torah we do learn, we do learn from, 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 from a juxtaposition. And now the Gemara asks, my time at Darish. What's the reason that Rabbi Yehuda agrees in a Mishnah Torah we do learn? In which case do we learn? We have to e-boys him, if you want, I'll tell you, Mishum de Muchach. Because it's obvious. In other words, it's obvious that the Torah juxtaposes them to teach us something. So it's logical, it's obvious. Or if you want, because it's extra. It's not needed here. It's not necessary for him to state it here. If you want, because the Torah should have told us this prohibition the first time around. When he mentioned, when he lists all the prohibited relationships in the book of Leviticus, Achrimais, there he should have said he should have he should have listed he should have listed this prohibition. So why does the Torah stay here? So it's obviously the Torah is coming to juxtapose to teach me something that it's it's similar to the rape. That's what Abuda says. It's coming to teach me about the rape. If you want, if you want, I'll tell you because because it's because it's it's because it's extra. 
because if that's the case, the Torah should have said, it's completely accurate, should have said, don't marry your father's wife. Why do I need this whole pasuk? This whole pasuk is extra superfluous. The question is, what do you mean? What do you mean it's superfluous? The rabbis just gave a reason why it's here. It's not superfluous. It's coming to teach us that in the case of your father's brother dies childless and your father is obligated to marry his sister-in-law, you, yeah. she's designated to him, she's reserved for him, she's not available, so the Torah is telling us, Torah is telling the son, you're not allowed to marry her while she's designated for your father. It's to add an extra love, so it's not extra. So either you'll say, because you already have two love already, what are you, what are you a third love. Because anyway, she's not allowed to marry anyone. She's not available to anyone. She's designated to the brother-in-law. Even a stranger is not allowed to marry her. So the son is no different. I don't need a special prohibition for the son. And besides the fact, the son is also her aunt. Your, your, your uncle's bro- wife. Your father's brother's wife you're not allowed to marry. So why would the Taita add her third love? That's what Abihud says. It's, it's completely extra. It's only here to teach us the juxtaposition. And in the case of a rape, if your father raped a woman... Even though it's not no marriage, or he or he seduced her and he had an affair with her, you're never allowed to marry. That's what I believe. Others have a different version. They say that what he means extra is the word of it. He says knaf. Why does he have to add the word of it? The word of it extra. So the word of it extra. That's why he's coming to teach us uh, this teaching of the juxtaposition. Lamali. Why does why does he have to say of it? There's one version. Not knaf aviv lamli, aviv lamli. In other words, the mitzvah itself, like the rabbis say, it's it's it's, it's, it's not it's, it's not superfluous. But the word aviv is superfluous. So shmamina, we continue on side B. Shmamina lafnuye, and it's here to teach me a juxtaposition. And vegabe tzitzis nami. When we learn that the mitzvah of tzitzis overrides the prohibition of shatnis. We also, also, because it's obvious, that's the Torah's coming to teach us, or because it's completely superfluous, it's extra. Why does the Torah tell us here? You should have said in Parshat Tzitzit, where's Parshat Tzitzit? In Shlach. In Parshat Shlach, in the Book of Numbers. Chapter 15. Why, why does the Torah tell us here in the book of Deuteronomy suddenly the Torah tells us again about Sittas? So obviously the Torah is coming to teach us to juxtapose that, that Sittas overrides the prohibition of shatness of, of wearing wool and linen together. Chapter 15, verses 37 41. So, Lamai if you want, Mishundam Mufna, because it's superfluous. Let's look. Sivit says, Beged Kalayim Shatnes Lealalalach. It says in Leviticus, in, in, in Kedoshim, you're not allowed to wear a garment of kalayim, of a mixture of shatnes, of wool and linen. Don't put it on. So, it's completely superfluous. Why does they have to repeat it? It's completely excellent. We already learned this prohibition. So, it's so, therefore, it's completely extra. It's coming to teach me this juxtaposition, to teach me that the mitzvah of tzitzis overrides this prohibition. Mm-hmm. That's the exception. Mm-hmm. The asks, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I need these two psukim. The verse in Leviticus, in Kedoshim, I would think, 
Call that a halal. This is don't put it on you, Asar Rahman. Someone who's selling and he wants to put it on to, to, to demonstrate, to show, to act like a mannequin. To, <laughs> here, he's selling his clothes, he puts it on to show. He's not really wearing it as a garment. Mm-hmm. So you would think, the Taylor says, don't even put it on you. You would think that, 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 that that's also prohibited. That's why I need the second Pasuk to teach me, no, silbash. the prohibition is only if you wear it as clothing, as a garment. You go to the tailor. You're going to the tailor, you're just putting on the measure. Right. So that's why he said Lysilbash. The prohibition is only if you take a wearing it for wearing it. Do me the levision. This be no, you're enjoying it. You're wearing it as a garment. Because of, so then let the Taita just say Lysilbash. Why do we have to say Layala? Because of Rahman Lysilbash, if the Taita would only say the verse. Don't put on half. I mean, I would think Dafka Levisha. When you're wearing it a fully clothed garment, you're wearing it entirely, the nafish and the yasa, that you're really enjoying it. There's a lot of benefit from it. What if I just put it on a wrap a towel around my hand for a moment and the towel is shatnas? I wouldn't think that's prohibited. It's not wearing a garment. It's not a lot of benefit. Yes, for a moment I got a little benefit, but that's not. On the other side of hand. No, in the olden days, they used to wear well, tzitzis, we and all their garments, and all their garments, they wore tzitzis. Well, that's the old. We, we, our garments, and I like that. So, so we yeah. don't. But the, uh, the mitzvah of tzitzis is to put it on all your garments. But the mitzvah of tzitzis overrides shatnas because it's a mitzvah. That's the power of a mitzvah. The mitzvah is a positive mitzvah overrides a prohibition. That's right. the power of a positive mitzvah. It overrides even a negative mitzvah. That's what we learn it from. That's why we and it's a principle to the whole Torah. From there we learn the whole Torah that a positive mitzvah overrides a mitzvah is more important than, than the prohibition. Right. Even though a prohibition is severe, but a mitzvah in a way is even more important. How do we know a mitzvah is more important? Because in a, a sin you could do tshuva. If you miss a mitzvah, you can't do trouble. It's, it's like missing a wedding. A person gets married once in his life. You miss the wedding, you know, that person will never forget. You missed his wedding. But I have an excuse from today till tomorrow. The bottom line is you missed the wedding. You were not there. Every mitzvah is like missing a wedding. If you miss Shema once in your life, that Shema is never coming back. Mm-hmm. See, you missed the wedding. Well, you have a good excuse. You know, you missed the wedding. You weren't there. So God, trouble won't help you. You missed it. You weren't there. You can cry from today to tomorrow, say I'm sorry from today till tomorrow, regret it from today to tomorrow. You weren't there. There's no making up for it. It's finished. It's over. The opportunity is lost. So a positive mitzvah is more important than a prohibition. We came in this world to be active, to do, not to tie our hands and not to do. So a mitzvah overrides, and we learn that from from tzitzis. But I would think halal, which is just a minor thing, there's no prohibition. Even that you're not allowed to do. So you might ask, wait a minute. It still doesn't explain why, why. In Cain, if that's the case, lichtev rachmana, lisilber shatnes. Okay, so I need both verses, but the Tadr should have said only Le Silba Shatna. So Le Silbash is not superfluous. Okay, you explain. Le Silbash and Leyala, both Psukim are not superfluous. But Temeru Fishtim Lamali. Why do I have to t- why does they have to say don't wear shatna is woolen linen? Mahti. Let's look. Khosov it says Ubegid Kloyim Shatna's Layalala. It says that a garment of it says in Leviticus that a garment of shatnes, a begit kloyim, a mixture of shatnes, leyala lecha, the Rabbi Shmuel, the Rabbi Shmuel, the Yeshiva, Rabbi Shmuel, learn the academy of Rabbi Shmuel, oil and them, rubitaydes, tam begadim. 
since the Titus says clothing. Part of clothing. I don't know what material are clothing. What's considered clothing? What the Titus says clothing. What material are we talking about? And one of them, the Titus spells out Tzemerupish. The Titus says by Shatnis. Beged, a clothing, and he spells it out. What is clothing? Clothing is, shatnis is wool and linen. So we, there we learn, anywhere in the Torah, when the Torah says garment, what do we mean? I've called Samar When he says a garment, we're talking about wool and linen. So therefore, in Deuteronomy, why does he have to say Samar Lamali? That's completely extra. So why does the Torah say that's why it's extra? That's why it's coming to teach me to juxtapose that in the case of tzitzis it overrides uh, the prohibition. It says by tzeras. It says by tzeras when it's talking about uh, uh, um, a leprosy and garments. So he says clothing and he says wool and linen. So from there we learn in the whole Torah when it says a garment. What's a garment? Wool and linen. Same thing with Tumma. When it says a garment becomes Tameh, biblically it's only a garment of wool and linen. So too, when, so when he says over here, Beged, Lesilba, Shatnez, so I know that it's wool and linen. There's nothing else. Right. There's no other material. So why does he have to say wool and linen? So therefore, it's completely superfluous. It's coming to teach me that the mitzvah is overrides. So you might ask, wait a minute, it's still not superfluous. Bakati. I still need the Tamar of Pish, the Salka, I mean, I would think. Hello, who would learn Nafish on us? Hello, if the Torah would not spell out Tamar of Pish, then I would say, you know why the Torah only prohibited wool and linen in the case of Leitala, in the book of Leviticus. There, because there the prohibition is even just just temporarily wrapping it around your hand. So that prohibition is only mixing wool and linen. But here in the Deuteronomy, the prohibition is you're not allowed to wear it, which is a lot of benefit. I would think, shatnes means any mixture of any, any, any fabric, not only wool and linen. So the Torah has to spell out, no, only wool and linen. So it's not extra. The Gemara answers, no, you can't say that, because even if that's the case, the Torah doesn't have to spell it out. Since the Torah uses the same code word, shatnes, in the book of Leviticus, we already know what shatnes is, because there he says beged. And we know that beged means, beged is exclusively, according to the Academy of Rabbi Shmo, beged is exclusively wool and linen. So the prohibition of shatnes means don't mix wool and linen, because that's the only mixture. The only thing that, the only garment, the only fabric that's considered garments is wool and linen. The Torah says don't mix. It could only be wool and linen. So why does the Torah have to spell out here in, the, in, in Deuteronomy wool and linen? It says shatnes. We know shatnes means from Leviticus a mixture of wool and linen exclusively. So it is extra. So why does the Torah have, have no reason to say it? So the Torah is extra. It comes to teach me that the juxtaposed to tzitzis, that mitzvah tzitzis overrides the prohibition of shat. Mm. And the academy of Rabbi Shmoel 
This is the academy where Rabbi Shmuel learned time with the cause of Rahman and Samuel of Fishdim. The reason Tzitzis are allowed to be Shatnas because it says, Wool and linen. Halavachi. According to Tanit Rabbi Shmuel, according to Tanit Rabbi Shmuel, what are you saying? You're saying that where do we know that Tzitzis could be wool and linen? Because it's extra. It says, the title spells out, seven official, and juxtapose it to tzitzis. So therefore we know that the mitzvah is coming to teach us the mitzvah of tzitzis overrides the prohibition of shatnas. Halavachi, without that, kloyim betzitzis have a minute You would, I would think that the Torah prohibits mixing wool and linen even on tzitzis. But how could you say that? Vaksivit says, it says in shlach, in the book of Numbers, Vaslam, we say it in the Vayomer every day, Vaslam tzitzis, al kanfevigdeim. You should make tzitzis on the corners of the garments. V'tanud ve Rabbi Yishmael, and Rabbi Yishmael learns kol begadim bigdeim. What's bigdeim? When you say garments, which garments are obligated to tzitzis? Kol begadim tzemer upishtime. V'amarachmana, and the Torah is saying avod leitcheles. It says cheles. And what's tcheles? Tcheles is, is, is wool. How do you know that tcheles you know is only made of wool? The blue has to be dyed wool. Maybe, maybe it could be dyed linen. No, you can't say that. Because we see by the garments of the Koyin that the garments of the Koyin were made of a mixture of wool and linen. Because it says linen. Part of the fabric was made of linen. Some of the threads were made of linen. And then, kisna tcheles. Midrashesh, kisna, sheish is, is, is linen, tcheles amra. When he says, and the dyed string, the blue and purple and red, mm-hmm. so that's wool. Tcheles mm-hmm. amra. So therefore, when he says, so tcheles, we know that blue dyed wool, when it comes to the garments of the kayin, there it's clear, there's sheish, there's linen. And then everything else, the dyed, all the dyed colors were with wool. So when it says by the tzitzis tcheles, we know that tcheles is dyed wool. And the Torah says bigdeya, meaning including the linen clothing. Mm-hmm. And the Torah says put tzitzis that are made of wool. So it says clearly in the Torah that you have to mix wool and linen. Why do I need a juxtaposition to teach me an extra word, Semer of Fishtim in the book of Deuteronomy, and to juxtapose it to Mitzvah of Tzitzis? Even without it, it says clearly in the original parish of Tzitzis, Basle Bigdeim, Rabbi Shmol holds Bigdeim means wool and linen, and the Torah says, in your garment of linen, put Tcheles, blue, which is blue wool. So you're mixing wool and linen. So why do I need... Why do I need I mean, the truth is, it's, it's, I can still learn from here that a mitzvah, a positive mitzvah overrides a prohibition. But, but why do you need this extra, why do you learn, need to learn it from Deuteronomy, from the extra word, from a juxtaposition? It says clearly in the Torah. See, what says itself? No, you still need it. I would think the Rava. I would think that maybe the Pasuk is coming to teach me what the Rava taught. The Rava, Rami, Rava, question. He threw the two verses, and it seems a contradiction. It says, Hakonov, and Hakonov means, comes to teach me, Minakonov, that you have to, the tzitzes have to be the same fabric of the garment itself. You have to use the same fabric. On the other hand, Uksiv Semer Pishtim, 
On the other hand, it says, it says, Semra fishtim, woolen linen, shatnas and tzitzis, right? They're juxtaposed in Deuteronomy. So right next to tzitzis, it says, don't wear shatnas, woolen linen. That means tzitzis is made of wool and linen. From the that juxtaposition, you learn tzitzis have to be made from wool and linen. Here, on the other hand, it says, no, you can make tzitzis from any, any fabric as long as it matches the fabric of the garment. Okay, it said. So tzemer of fishtim, so the distinction is as follows. Tzemer of fishtim, poitrin, beimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimimim
They go with every type of fabric. Versus if you want to use cotton tzitzis, it only goes with a cotton, cotton tzitzis, a cotton garment. Begin. Begin. It goes linen, silk, it only goes... So according to Rava, you're obligated to wear tzitzis in all garments. But Rabbi Shmuel doesn't hold that. Rabbi Shmuel says, big begin, and says in the title, garment, what do we consider a garment? What kind of garment Maybe do we do? Exclusively wool and linen. So, so according to Rabbi Yishmael, right, exactly, exactly. So how can you say that, that it's extra yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. without that I would, I would derive it like Rav learned it. Obviously the Academy of Rabbi Yishmael doesn't agree with Rav's teaching. But Tanya Rabbi Yishmael, Leslie did Rav, says, no, it's, I still need it. Even according to the Academy, Rabbi Yishmael disagrees with Rav that only the garments of wool and linen are obligated in tzitzis. No other garment, no other fabric is obligated still. I need Sagat. I would think yes, they disagree with the Rava regarding whether other fabrics need tzitzis. But the Diuk of Rava they agree with. Hakonov minkonov. That Hakonov means it has to be similar. The fabric of the tzitzis have to match the fabric of the garment. This is what the Tadis says. Wool tzitzis have to match the garment of a wool, a garment, a wool garment. Ufishtim and flax tzitzis made of linen. Ufishtim garments made of linen. And when you're doing tzemer letzemer, when you have a wool garment and you have wool tzitzis, the Torah is saying tzave, color it, dye it blue. But only in that case. How do I know that you'd wear dyed tzitzis, blue tzitzis, dyed blue tzitzis? which means wool tzitzis, also for linen, that we learn from the juxtaposition in, in, in Deuteronomy. Let's just finish. I could even use, that's what Tate is saying, the Tate from the juxtaposition. When it comes to tzitzis, there's no prohibition of shatnas, meaning I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to take semi, li, wool for linen, linen and right. even linen tzitzis for wool garments. Right. Everyone have bread. a beautiful Shabbos. Beautiful Shabbos. Right. Right. May we wipe out our Malik and bring Mashiach. Have a good Shabbos.